0: Quite a bit this evening, several verses. Um, I believe God would have us to visit tonight through this message. I'd like to invite you. To, let's stand for the reading of God's word. It's just one verse tonight, and uh, it's First Timothy chapter three and verse fifteen. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. How thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Gives the idea that there's a certain amount of conduct towards the house of God. And we want to visit that tonight as the Lord would give us liberty. Let's pray. Father, we love You. I pray that You would bless this time. God, this service. God, use it for Your glory and for Your honor. It's my desire to be used of You, God. Not for self, but God, to glorify the Savior this evening. God, I pray Your will will be accomplished. Lord, thank You for the privilege to assemble together with a body of like-minded believers. God, may we not take lightly the gift You have given us. Amen. You may be seated. It was a cold day in Washington, D.C. on January twentieth, 1961. It is a day that would change the lives of many young Americans. As a matter of fact, on this day, there would be nearly one million Americans, people, present for this. And this day was the day that our 35th President of the United States of America, John F. Kennedy, would deliver his inaugural speech. It is a remembered speech, even these 58 years later, not because he was one of the youngest men to ever be elected into the office of President, but there was one line in the whole speech. Many of you, I can tell by the nod of your, your head, you know the line. It's a line that would define a generation. One statement that would define and probably what JFK is the most known for. And that was this line. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country and my 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 how times have changed our country as many would agree is in a sham. and to say that it's all out of sorts would be a mild mild understatement our country Rather than having people that are asking, what can I do for my country? We are asking, what can my country do for me? The question is, where's my handout? What can I have for free that doesn't cost me, even if it costs someone else? What can I have that will cost me nothing? May I remind you, free may be in the word freedom, but it is never, ever, ever free. The idea that independence and freedom from our parents and from the rules and regulations is placed on our lives through God ordained authority—the idea that freedom can happen and it not cost—is false. Freedom will always cost something. Selfishness is what has gotten us in the mess we are in. Selfishness is having my way, my agenda. You look at the political gamma we have today. No longer is it a unity of people. Forget Republican or Democratic, uh, the Democrats. Forget all of that. It's no longer a unified body that says we're here for the people. It is a promotion of personal agenda. We have changed and it's all because of selfishness. Pride. And may I say not only our country, but in our churches and in our homes. Isn't selfishness the root of all of our issues? Don't the problems arise when I want my way and the other person does not see it that way? When I was dating, there was very little you could do to stop me from being good to her. I was talking to Brother David this morning as we were coming back from dropping off on the bus route. And we were talking about the rain and how uh, we, we, were refer- we were deciding how to drop off. And we had a little girl left and a little boy left and somebody had to cross the road. And Brother David decided, well, I'm going to go this way and I'm going to let the girl be closest to her door because she's a girl. I said, I'm good with that. Chivalry. And uh, I said, I'll take it. And I said, you know, there are times, and I just, this week, Miss Sarah wanted something And she said, well, they don't have it, just come on home. And I was at store number one. And as I left that store, I thought to myself, if I was dating her, what would I do? I'd go to Timbuktu. Four stores later, I still didn't find it, but I made a good effort. Amen? (laughs) But the idea is that when I was dating her, it was all about her, her, her. And as we've been married now seven years, the issues have come when I've said, what are you going to do for me? The issues, the only issues in marriage, in the church house, in the home, in the country of the United States, the only issues is the issue when it says, it's about me. We go from pursuing and wooing and wanting to all of a sudden in marriage. wait, whoa, whoa, what do I get? It's not about the shoes left out in the middle of the floor. It's really not. It's about the, the inconsiderate aspect towards the other person in any relationship. We stop asking, what can I do for you, honey? But what are you going to do for me? Selfishness has affected, and perhaps infected, would be a better word, our churches, our nation, our homes. Can I say the church is now looked at as a hospitality house rather than the church of the living God and a hospital for the lost and the wondering. The church is now looked at as a social gathering instead of a surrendered service. It's looked at as a place for a new hobby rather than a place to help others. We start things and we want things so we can say we have a hobby and we do something in the church and we can feel good about ourselves rather than the mode of being about others. I find it interesting. Just recently I would make a phone call and I would be asked this question um, by a lady that I couldn't even tell you the name. Does the church do anything to pay for power bills and all that? May I ask that question? We we answer that with policies and things. And and, and what what I find interesting is those calls come often. Those knocks at the office door. What can your church do for me? I've yet to have a call. You know, you've been coming by here picking up my kids. What can I do to help the church? Take, take, take. It's easy to look and say, why doesn't the church do this? Why don't we do what they're doing? Boy, pastor, we need to start at this. We need to have this community outreach. We need to reach out. Why aren't we trying this? And we need to go on and on and on. It's easy to say, boy, that person, they sat in my seat. What are they thinking? They ought to know that's my seat. I've been sitting there for umpteen years. What are they thinking? Not thinking about their lost condition. It's easy to come into a ministry like Solid Rock Baptist Church and to make the statement, I know where I belong. God has helped me and my family here. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that this church does that very thing. I'm thankful we can come in and say there's no place like this. But when are you going to help the church? When will you help the church? We come in and we're wild we're wild by the ministry that God has placed here in Rodeus, North Carolina. As I told the bus workers, a ministry like this is in the wrong spot in terms of logical understanding. There ain't but one way to describe this ministry and that is the hand of God. The only God could take a place right in the middle of Rodeus and Grand Falls and put a ministry like this. God. And it's easy to come in and I'm thankful for our church. And I'm thankful we can say there's no place like this church. But you realize that all of us here tonight Saying there's no place like this church does not make this church great. This work that we enjoy, that our families enjoy, was not from a bunch of people saying, well, this is the best church. Saying that will be a result. And I say people get upset when the church doesn't perform the way they think it should or doesn't do what they want. They get sideways. Oh, it's the greatest church until we don't get what we want. So tonight as we venture through God's Word, I would like to make this statement. And so, my fellow Christians, ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. And so, my fellow Christians, ask not what your church can do for you, and the title of the message, ask what you can do for your church. What can I tonight as a Christian, a born again believer of Jesus Christ, a part of the family of God, what can I do that would help my church? I told our Sunday school, our teenagers this morning, that them being in Sunday school did not help further the kingdom of God. I'm thankful they're there. And so tonight, I want to express to you that you sitting on a church pew does not further the kingdom of God. I'm thankful you're here, but somewhere we've got to get beyond. Both the church, boy, I just got so much help, pastor. I appreciate that message. Great. Now, what will you do with it? What? When will we ask the question? Boy, I hope it's a good one tonight, preacher. I need it. I need some encouragement. When will you encourage the church? Ask not what the church can do for you, but what can you do for the church. I believe there's ten things we can look at tonight that I've run across and by the grace of God outlined a message with these ten things. Number one, we should attend regularly. Attend regularly. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I want to take your attention a moment for this verse. We use it all the time. It is probably a preacher's favorite verse when preaching on being faithful to the house of God. Because it says everything that needs to be said. But I want you to notice, nowhere in that passage are days given. Wednesday is not mentioned. Sunday is not mentioned. Saturday is not mentioned. It is a principle of the heart. It is not about a day of the week. That's why, if it, that's why here in a few weeks the church can have service on Tuesday night instead of Wednesday night. It's not a matter of the day of the week. It is a matter of the heart. What is in our heart? It is much, much bigger than something that ends in why. It is a matter of the heart. The idea that we find given from Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, the idea is, it's this. When I'm given the opportunity, I will be there. And I will be with my assembly of believers. That's the idea. I preached to our bus kids just like this. And I tell them right now, you have the opportunity that's been presented to you that a bus runs on Sunday morning. You should be on that bus every single Sunday because you get one opportunity a week that's being given at the moment. But you and I have been given three opportunities a week to be in the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And we nonchalantly think we can handle skipping out. The command is when given the opportunity, we will be in the house of God. And in case you're not aware of the opportunities, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday night prayer time, Sunday morning bus calling and visitation and soul winning, in case you're not aware of all of the opportunities. But given the opportunity, I to attend regularly. I love the movie War Room. How many of you have seen that? Miss Clara is my favorite person. I love it when the devil gets his butt kicked. I love it. But I love when Miss Clara asked Miss Elizabeth, Where do you go to church? And she said, We attend, I think it was River of Life, occasionally. So Miss Clara comes in, she said, You say you attend occasionally. Is that because your pastor only preaches occasionally? We ought to attend regularly. There ought to be something in the heart of the Christian that says, I want to help my church. And I'm going to help my church. I'm going to be in my church. That's the first place to start. If we are going to help the church of the living God, I want to help my church. May I say, this right here kicks out this whole idea that I have church at my house. That's junk, junk, junk. Because there's something about the house of God. There's something you have to put effort into. Freedoms, not free. If I want something from the living God, I'm going to put the effort to be somewhere, to be somebody, to look like somebody so I can get something from the one who can give it. I'm not going to take the easy route and sit in my PJs in front of some television preacher. I'm going to be in the house of God given the opportunity. I'm going to come apart. And do something that cost me something. May I say, good things are not easy. Do you think a church like this just no? It came from the prayers and the fervent work and labor of a pastor? 27 years. That's what you get when you have that kind of labor. This doesn't just magically appear. Good things are not easy. May I say, number one, attend regularly. Number two, give generously. Give generously. 2 Corinthians 9.7 this, this passage will be used twice in the message. But for here, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Then Malachi 3.10 Bring ye all the tithes into the sore house, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. May I tell you, give generously. Support. The work of God. Put it this way. Put your money where your mouth is. Boy, it's one thing to say, boy, I love my church. I love my church. But you never put a nickel in it. You never put one dime in it. You never support any of the ongoing projects or the ministries of outreach. And you say you love your church. I challenge you to put your money where your mouth is. My giving demonstrates my love. I will put my money where my love is. May I say there's a priority of giving. Notice when Malachi 3.10 bring you all the tithes, not some of them, all the tithes into the storehouse. It's commanded. There's a priority of giving. And you know, I'll tell you right now, the folks who are struggling with this point are the ones who are struggling with this point. Those of us that give faithfully and tithe and support the minister, we don't mind when the man of God gets on money. It doesn't bother us because we're not holding on to God's money in our pocket. We've given it where it belongs. It won't bother you. We ought to give generously. There's a priority. It's been commanded. That takes the option off the table. That's a good message, wasn't it? There's the provision of giving. Notice in Malachi it says, Bring ye all the tithes into the sore house. This says that there may be meat in mine house. Now, I don't know about you, but the last time I've been going here for a good while, and I've yet to see us roll a, a, a half a cow through here or any type of meat other than our covered dish Baptist dinners. The idea is this it's provision. Provision. It is the fault of meeting a need. Put it this way, it's paying the bills. Our lights, the lights here, and the lights here take money just like our lights take money at our homes. The buildings take maintenance here just like our homes take maintenance. Our church vehicles take maintenance just like we take maintenance. Our staff takes money just like any other staff in the country takes money. And so we ought to give generously because it, it is the provision that comes from the giving of God's people. It is the idea, listen, when I give to the church, and I unashamedly give to the, to the ministers here at Solid Rock Baptist Church, when I honor God's Word, I give to support this ministry. Guess what? I benefit from it. I don't know about you, but I like the A.C. when it's hot. I like the heat when it's cold. I'm supporting it, but I'm benefiting from it. And it's a wonderful, wonderful cycle that God has ordained for the supporting of the ministry of God's work. But then there's the promise of giving. Boy, that's God pouring us out a blessing. told our teenagers this morning, as you begin to work, we were talking about get rich now. I said, as you begin to work, Purpose now that you're going to give God His 10%. It's not an option. You don't pay your bills and then decide if you have the money to do it. That ought to be the first thing. Honor the Lord with the substance. All, the first fruits of all thy substance. The first fruits. It ought to be the first thing off the top. A matter of the heart. Because He's promised us a blessing. And I'm going to tell you, you'll never, 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 never outgive God. Never. Then thirdly, may I say, you ought to love radically. Don't get alarmed by the word radically. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. If I'm going to love, I know no better example than the example of Jesus Christ. Radical has this idea. Relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something. Notice this, far-reaching and thorough. That's what radical is. The liberal, off-the-wall people have taken that to another extreme, but the idea is it's a passionate love. It is something thorough. It's far-reaching. It's not just what you can casually grab as you go by. It's a thing that takes work and focus and effort. It is a love that is passionate about what we are loving. And we ought to love our church radically. Church should not be an accessory in my life. It should be one of the very centerpieces of my life and for my family. And if it's that, I will love it radically. I see the person of love is Jesus Christ. You'll find no greater person of love than Jesus Christ. That He would lay down His life. No greater love than a man lay down His life. And Jesus Christ has done that. He is the person of love. Then I see the product of love, and that is the church. Even as Christ also loved the church. But then there's the passion of love. So what is that? That's my time. That is my time. Life is measured in time. Jesus said He gave His life for the church. Life is measured in time. We say I'm X number of years old. We have months and weeks and days and hours and minutes and seconds. In other words, what I love, I will give my time to what I love. I will give my time to what I love if I have a radical love. How many times, for ladies especially, they'll be asked, what do you want for your birthday or anniversary? And men, how many times have you been told, you? You. I just want time with you. That's love, is when we give our life. Radical love is that dating love. Whatever you would do to woo her, nobody would slow you down. The hundred dollar flowers, that's the radical love. That's the love you had when you first walked in the doors of Solid Rock Baptist Church. That love. Somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. The love that you had when you first came. The radical love. Then, number four, we should bring others consistently. Psalms 122 1 says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. So what in the world does that show us about bringing anybody to the house of God? Pay attention. The author in this Psalms is saying, I was glad. But then he said something. When they said, let us. Somebody said, hey, let's go to church. (laughs) Somebody walked by and says, hey, church is starting. Let's go to church. You want to go to church with me? When is the last time you have invited somebody to sit on the pew beside you? If you love your church, and you ask the question, "What can I do for the church? You can bring somebody consistently and invite somebody. A church is not a solo operation. Met a man recently, asked him if he had a home church. Church is here. No, it's not. I hate to bust your bubble. It's not. Because church is not a solo operation. Everything that God looks when God references us going to church, it's a collective body, somewhere of set apart believers. The idea we ought to reach all we can for the glory of God. Verse, this verse ends with the house of the Lord. May I say, if we start it, God will finish it. Finishes with the Lord. Not only should we bring others consistently, number five, we should volunteer joyfully. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. This verse, and as I did earlier in the message, oftentimes we'll come to this verse and say, God loves a cheerful giver, when we're talking about the offering plate. And I think it's very applicable, and it's, but I believe it applies much deeper and much further than my billfold. Notice what bounty is. I read this this passage and I wanted to find out because everything I've heard has always been related to the money. And and it's part of. But notice what bounty. It is the Word. It includes the gift of favor and the kindness of disposition with which it is bestowed. Or a favor bestowed with benevolent disposition. This distinguishes it from a mere gift. It is a whole lot more than money. It is the idea when the offering plate comes by, not only are we willing to financially get in it, but we're willing to get in it. We're willing to volunteer. And we volunteer joyfully. You know, not volunteering because nobody else is going to do it. There ought to be a joy in our heart and in our soul that we get to work. We're in the Sunday school class, on the bus route, in the patch club room, wherever, whatever, but the privilege and the joy to serve. And I think when God talks about He loves a cheerful giver, it's much, much deeper than just monetary. I think there's three areas... That we as Christians should give and give faithfully. But when we volunteer, tithing is one of them, of course. Already discussed. Secondly, time. That's our volunteering. And again, I'll, I'll reiterate the fact that our, our few hours a week being in the preaching services is not helping the church, it's helping us. We hear the preaching of the Word of God. We get that very thing that God knew we needed. But not only should we give our tithe and our time, but our talent. I think those three areas that God would love for us to cheerfully volunteer. God, I'm going to cheerfully volunteer my tithe. God, I'm going to cheerfully give you my time because you're worthy and I love you. And God, what talents you've bestowed upon me, I'll use for your glory instead of prostituting them for my own gain. Number six, we should share Jesus willingly. Acts 5.42, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Church should not be the only place that Jesus is shared. I'm thankful that this is a place that Jesus is shared. Amen? I'm thankful that in there, there's everything around here we do, there's an opportunity to share the Gospel. And, I, and I'm thankful. But the, the sharing of Jesus should not stop here. The sharing of Jesus should go to here and out the door and into the world where we work, where we shop, where we spend our lives. The sharing from house to house. Not just in the temple. The sharing should go beyond that. Every house... They didn't stop sharing Jesus Christ when they left the temple. They continued to share. People need Jesus today, not our opinions. It really doesn't matter whether they think I agree with the current administration in Washington. It doesn't matter if if they really if they know that I agree and that I only, even though I'm unashamed, that I only will preach and use the King James Bible. Shouldn't matter. It's not the issue. Is not whether I'm a fundamental, independent Baptist and a separatist. That's not the issue. The issue: Do they know Jesus? All of the other things will work themselves out. We need to get them to Jesus Christ. But the problem is, we as God's people are letting it stop here. Luke nineteen ten. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We should strive to share Jesus daily. The more. People, the more people that get a track or a word from us, the greater this ministry's influence will be. I understand. You give these out, and it's like, does anybody ever want to show up? I get it. But we ought to carry these. You want to help your church? Help others. There's not a one of us that should walk out this door and not have these in our pockets if we love our church. Ask what you can do for the church. If you want to know what you can do for the church, you can get a pocket full of gospel tracts. And given the opportunity and the nudge of the Holy Spirit of God, you pull it out and you make a similar statement. Can I invite you to my church? There's something about having these in your pocket. It brings around a conviction or a real soul conscious awareness. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes I'm thankful when I go, oh, I'm all out. Y'all won't say that, but I will. But you know what? There's something about If we care about our church, we won't be ashamed of it. We'll share it. We'll share Jesus willingly. And we'll be more aware of souls. And we'll be prepared for those encounters. You know what else is great about these? Those of you that are nervous, and I understand, nervous, the thought of leading somebody to Calvary, to Jesus Christ, To take them down the Romans road unnerves you to no end. Can I tell you, if you'll carry these right on the back, you can read that off to them and you can get them to Jesus. It doesn't take a Bible scholar or a Bible college graduate. It takes a Christian that's devoted to their church and that will share Jesus willingly. Not only should we share Jesus willingly, number seven, we should fellowship purposefully. We should fellowship purposefully. Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And then notice the next phrase, fellowship. And in breaking of bread and in prayers. That word steadfastly is the idea constant, firm, resolute. Not fickle and not wavering. Steadfast. We ought to be steadfast in our fellowship. And it is this idea, it's with a purpose. My conversation with you is with a purpose. We ought to fellowship religiously. Notice doctrine was used here in doctrine and fellowship. We should fellowship religiously. I should be a better Christian because of fellowship. And I should help you be a better Christian because of the fellowship with me. We ought to have a purpose behind our fellowship. Fellowshipping from the religious aspect, we ought to fellowship rightly. Rightly. The idea of not gossip, but God talk. When's the last time you've really stopped After a service, and the conversation was, boy, wasn't God good tonight. Boy, God sure helped me. What did He do for you? Instead of all of our our hobbies and our interests. And I'm not saying those don't have a place and we can't discuss those things. Boy, but there ought to be something burning inside that says, I love my church. And I want to help my church. Number eight, we should show up energetically. Again, Psalms 122.1 I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I should enjoy church personally. I should enjoy church personally. Hey, and if you're right with God, if you're right with God, or is trying your very best to be right with God, you'll enjoy church. If you're not enjoying church, there's something not right in your heart. And it's a personal thing. Engagement. And my enjoyment is personal. But my engagement is plural. When I engage in church, I like engaging with people in the church. I don't want to go out and run bus routes by myself. That's boring. I want to have people on there that I can talk to. And that we can together go out and serve God and hop creeks together and get soaking wet together and serve kids together. It's plural. It's plural. It's a, it's, a, it's a togetherness. I should enter physically. Again, we ought to be in the house of God. There's got to be a separate place. But can I say, don't just, don't just come to church. Come to church and be excited that we get to go to the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. We ought to be excited and energetic time when we walk in the house of god and i understand there's some nights that we're literally dragging in because it's been a long day but there ought to be something inside an energy that rises up that says i'm glad i get to be in church tonight we ought to come energetically excited and we ought to display that we're energetic about our church you ever think maybe somebody would be interested if you were excited about it they're interested in everything else we're excited about We get excited about the next this or that and they're interested. Maybe the problem is we as God's people aren't near as energetic and excited about the house of God that we should be. You want to help your church? Show up. What can you do for the church? You can show up and you can show up with an excitement and an energy that says, I love my church. You want to really help your church? Show up with some energy about it then we should encourage faithfully. Number nine, we should encourage faithfully. Hebrews 10.25, once again, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. But this next phrase, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. That word exhorting, very simply, is this, encouraging. Uplifting. Building up one another. It is the idea that we support and we draw strength from each other. May I say these last days... God, not only did God give us a command, but He gave it a requirement. And He said, So much the more, as you see the day approaching, it is not the time to be slack in my church attendance as the days are approaching. And I understand our world is more wicked. All the more reason we ought to show up to the house of God. And all the more reason we ought to be there to encourage faithfully. I wonder how many times someone has walked in and looked for you. And you weren't there. How many times have they said, Boy, I hope so-and-so's there. But old so-and-so didn't value it that night. And you could have been the encouragement for that one. Encouraging one another. Again, let me let me explain. Selfishness is what's destroying the church. Selfishness is what's destroying our country. Selfishness is what's destroying our homes and our marriages. But if you love your church, and you want to help your church, you'll be here just in case somebody needs your encouragement. Because one day you will need that encouragement. I've often related to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they stood before the fiery furnace. I personally believe that they... Would this be roperology? I think so. <laughs> I, personally, I personally believe that had they been individual, they would have bowed. I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego drew strength from each other Amen. to have the faith to bow. Yes. And we need church. Yes. Amen. We need the encouragement. We ought to faithfully encourage one another. Want to help your church? Go by and tell someone you're glad they're here. And the only way you can do that is to move out of your comfort zone out of your click and walk by and say, I'm glad you're here. That won't happen when you slip in just in time for church to start and when you dart out the door as soon as the amen is said, you won't find you're not a faithful encourager is what you will find. If you want to faithfully encourage, you'll have to take some time. And that means removing the selfishness. We need each other more now than ever. There ought to be there's something about coming into a church like this is just encouraging. Yeah. And it ought to encourage us. But then number ten, we should pray fervently. Acts two forty two, once again, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. First Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. It's been said that every victory is a prayer victory. every failure is a prayer failure. What can you do for your church? You can pray for your church. The idea of fervent is having or displaying a passionate intensity. The achar, uh, um, uh, I don't think I'll build archaic name, uh, definition of fervent is this: It's hot. It's burning and glowing. But the idea of being, it's hot, it's on fire. There's a passion, a fervency, a zeal. We ought to pray for Solid Rock Baptist Church. We ought to pray for the man of God of Solid Rock Baptist Church. We ought to pray with a passion, and may I say, not one time, but many. In Acts two forty two, when it says they continue, and the last word is not prayer; it's prayers. It's plural. There was a continuation of many, many prayers. John 5, 1 John five fourteen, and this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. May I ask you, what do you desire for your church? What will you ask God for on behalf of your church? And so, my fellow Christians, ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Pastor.